Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Today I'm going to talk to Shabnam Curtis. She's the author of my Persian Paradox. And she was born and raised in Tehran, experiencing the Iranian Revolution of 1979, really firsthand. In 2004, she decided to immigrate to the United States, where she now works as project analyst by day and a passionate writer and storytelling coach all other times. She teaches memoir writing workshops and has been performing lectures to colleges and universities about her book and the concept of sharing stories. And together, we are going to discuss today the power of storytelling, but of, of telling real, authentic life stories, what made us us, what challenges we have gone through and what we've learned from them. But most importantly, Shatner and I are talking about how sharing our stories needs reflection on our stories, needs to perhaps, yeah, bringing a different lens onto our stories, dismantling those, analyzing those to a certain extent in order to kind of find peace with ourselves, our past, if we need to find peace and to understand what was really happening there and what role played the people that did have a role in our lives and not always to a most positive extent. Shabnam has gone through a lot of challenges as a woman, a young teenager, basically in Iran. And she has taken this, I, I call it very easily baggage with her to the States until she hit her breaking point and understood, okay, I need to look at my stories and onto my life and see what was really happening there in order to move forward in her life and build this better self that she now is helping other people creating and reshaping their own very personal story. So if you want to learn more about this side of storytelling and how it can really, really impact the people around you, then now is the time to switch on, to listen to the story that we have got to share with you. And I just hope that you're going to enjoy it as much as I had fun recording it. So speak to you in a moment. So hello and a big welcome, Shabnam. How are you doing today? Oh, hello, hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing great. Wonderful. And um, everyone who will be able to see Shabnam on YouTube, on the Facebook page, you will see a glowing person here sitting in front of me. Well, sitting in front of me, seeing her through <laughs> Zoom, obviously. <laughs> it's uh, wonderful to have you and to listen to your stories today. And, you know, I, I was thinking about our recording today quite a bit. And I thought about, from my perspective, what makes you a legendary leader, right? And I just wanted to share that with you very, very briefly. So for me, great legendary leaders are people who clearly have real stories to tell. They speak from the heart. They are totally authentic. And, and I call it real leadership. And by sharing their stories, they will have a hugely positive impact on other people. 
because they don't just talk about all the amazing stuff and how good they are. They talk about the challenges they went through, what they learned from it, so that other people feel the sense of belonging and actually say, oh, my God, I'm not alone here. And, and that's connected to going through challenges, experiencing conflict, tough times in life, but being able to see them at least in hindsight from a perspective of, okay, what am I taking away from it? What I have learned? It's been tough. It's definitely been hard. However, I came out of it stronger. So another box ticked here, Shabnam. <laughs> and the last one was for me, pro people who proactively take steps towards a better self. So all of these experiences that I have gone through, everything that I've taken away, how can I now put them into action and say, all right, how can I improve myself, my life, the world around me? Yes, you just, you just said it beautifully. Exactly. It's all about, about self-improvement, but it doesn't mean that we are not good. We are good. We just want to find all the inner power that is hidden in us. And then the way that we tell our stories to ourselves and to others, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. It's like what point of view we want to choose or to tell this story. Like you said it beautifully, like, yeah, I dealt with challenges, but I came out stronger. So those become building blocks to become more resilient, to use them like as a, like as a flashlight, you know, it's, it's a lot of pain but you can transform the pain to that light that can help you to move forward. Mm. And it clearly did so for you. So you have not just one incredible story to tell. There are so many different stories that make up your life so far. And you have expressed that in your memoir, My Persian Paradox. So you come from an Iranian background as a woman who has been living in the States since 2004, right? Yes. Yeah, so for quite some time now. Tell us a little bit, without sharing obviously all the content of your book, about your stories. Sure, sure. Thank you. I really appreciate when I have a moment to share this story. And I always want to remind myself and, and everyone else who is listening that You know, it's not a story about extraordinary people. It's a story about just ordinary people mm -hmm. who lived under a lot of pressure and a stress. And it's kind of like I was just seven years old when the revolution happened. And then the, the fundamentalists took over the power in Iran in 1979. And basically, we lived under the dictatorship. And then soon after that, the, the war between Iran and Iraq started. So I grew up basically watching and observing everything unfolding in front of me, uh, you know, like not understanding it, but seeing how shocked my parents and adults were. And then things that were changing for me as a child, you know, Nine years old, uh, they were actually nine is the age for Sharia law. But when Sharia law became the constitution of the country, nine years old little girl is mandated to have hijab to cover herself. Otherwise, you would be punished for it. And then growing up, I was captured by the morale police just for having nail polish on my fingers in public or walking with a boy. And it wasn't... It wasn't limited to that. The whole culture became so more dog dogmatic. 
So now my mother is so scared and wants to protect me. When, mm-hmm. While she understood, she learned about the boyfriend. She started presenting me at home. And then what, what do I do as a like 17 year, 18 year old teenager? I think marriage is the way out of this prison. Mm-hmm. So I, I get married to the first man who my mother approves. But then obviously it doesn't take long for me to see I'm actually in a tighter prison with a controlling person who has his own phobias. But now I also have a daughter. So it's like I really came to the point that I need to build a different future for myself and my daughter. And then, you know, the whole long story and I come to the U.S. and I try to make this dream, American dream. And then I feel like, what is it? Why am I not appreciating? Why am I not feeling grateful for everything I have? Mm. And that's when after soul searching, I figured that, you know what, I'm not telling the right story to myself. I'm just looking at myself as a victim and carrying the burn of all those traumas in the past. How do I want to change that? And if I change it, then I got to the point that if I change it, if I look at my past with a different point of view, if I rewrite that story, then I feel more powerful. Then I feel I've made changes, that I've become more resilient. And that's basically when I got to the point that I wanted to write this story and I share it. Just for, like I said, an ordinary person who went through all those painful steps and millions of people like me did that too. But like you said, I want people to read it. I want to share it with others so they feel like I wasn't alone. Well, I interviewed someone um, last week or two weeks ago for my podcast who wrote a book called The Extraordinary Ordinary. I think that that would represent you very, very nicely. Beautiful. Yes, yes. I love that title. Yes. Because I don't quite, I don't quite buy the it's very ordinary. I think you had a very special situation here and special, not necessarily in the most positive sense. And you have mastered it. And the way you just described this first part of your life sounds like it has all been easy. And yeah, I just changed it. And then I have rewritten my story. But I mean, I'm pretty sure you can confirm that it hasn't been easy whatsoever for you. No, uh, no. I mean, when I say that, you know, you want to look at this story differently, that's only the beginning of the process of this never ending change, you know, Mm. it's for self-improvement, right? Because we want to improve ourselves. And by looking at our stories differently, by taking a different approach to the past, we can use those pain from the past to build a better future or even to be present. Because if I'm just here, but constantly feeling the pain of the past, then I'm not present. I'm not living fully. But if I look at it differently and I feel the pride, the worth in myself and then belonging, then that's when I can actually feel like I'm living fully. I'm enough. I've done what I could do. And yes, under a stress, I made mistakes. I'm going to take responsibility for my mistakes. But under a stress, people actually become a lot more self-protective. And I want to say even towards selfish 
you know, I have become selfish to protect myself, to protect my daughter. And once I accept that, I feel like humble enough to say, okay, you know, I did the best I could and the best I could do under a stress was a mistake, was not the right decision. But look at the whole dynamic that you were under. And that's basically like I always, nowadays, I I really like, and I study this integral life theory by Ken Wilber. And it's, uh, it's, I've learned from it that to tell a story, I want to say what, what, how I felt, how much pressure was on my mind, how much pressure was on my body. Was I sleep deprived? Was I under pressure of someone manipulating me? Or was I, was I under pressure of manipulating others to survive? Mm-hmm. What was the policy, the rule, the law of the, of the whole environment that was pushing me, to, you know, to kind of like some corner, the limiting me? And of course, who were the people, the characters of the story around me? And how were they under pressure? And how were they doing under pressure? So the man who I would call it like controlling, how was his grown up? dynamic how was the culture and what the culture taught him and that helps us to you know to bring all these different elements that helps us to see this story differently to be more compassionate not necessarily agreeing with everything but you you see it differently it brings the the elements of compassion and empathy to it and that's where the journey of the inner peace begin because we really need that self-improvement to get more wisdom Mm -hmm. and that was the word that just came to my mind when listening to you that it felt peaceful inner peace but i at the same time i'm trying to put myself into your shoes of an iranian woman uh, 19 years of age so very very young with a daughter and feeling imprisoned by her own husband really pressurized and whatnot And now you go through this analytical exercise to understand what is really happening there, the roles different people and him in particular play. And you come out more peaceful. And I do struggle. I have to be very honest. I do struggle to find my peace with him <laughs> and, and the way he treated you. I just want to go a little bit deeper, if you allow, and just help us understand a little bit more what the process was for you there to find peace how long it took you as well and yeah who you are now what your thoughts are about the situation and your marriage it's definitely like I said it's a never-ending process I'm definitely in the beginning of it and this is the way that I found to start building this inner peace by just looking at other people like I said compassionately it's like I started looking let's say you know the the husband that I, of course, I felt revenge towards him. Of course, I felt hate towards him. And then I got divorced and I I just wanted to free myself from that limited dogmatic environment that he created. But then when I'm out of it, when I have enough space to look at him differently, I see that everything he did was just a reaction. He didn't have any awareness to take any action, mm-hmm. to respond 
instead of just impulsively reacting. And everything was coming from those wrong beliefs that he grew up with. The culture, the parents, and like me, actually, funny that when we got to get married, we thought growing up in a really dysfunctional family would bring us closer. Little did we know that it would actually, because we didn't know, we didn't have any awareness, we would just blindly repeat what, what our parents did. So we got to the same fights. We didn't know how to communicate. And he did that too. And I did that too. So it was like, we just blindly repeat all those patterns. And I'm like, now I see what he was doing. So I stop, I start taking it less personally Mm -hmm. that he was doing it to me, Mm -hmm. was doing it to him. And now when I look at other characters of my story, when I look at people, characters that are coming to my current story, I try to do it. I try to see it. And and it's hard. Like, to be honest with you, like one work email could actually make me feel really inside out, upside down, you know, um, because my first reaction is I take it personally. Mm -hmm. Someone blames me. And it takes my breath away. And then I start calming myself down. I'm like, listen, Shabnam, what's the story here? Did you make that mistake? If you did, what was the condition that you were under, under you know, to make the mistake? Or was it a system mistake? Or, and, and why does he even allow himself to, to, to kind of like be so brutal in an email? So I bring all those different elements of, my body, my mind, my soul, people around me, all the limitations of the environment. I try to put all of it together to calm myself down. And it takes a while. It usually takes a few hours, depends on how it is. But that's who I am now, I think, with more awareness to think more analytically, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, to, to see the bigger picture rather I mean immediately I take it personally and then I start working on it and that's the new tool in my toolbox that I can use it 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 sounds a bit like the system thinking by Daniel Kahneman the the slow and the fast thinking right the fast thinking uh, fight or flight I'm getting upset my emotions are stepping in and then there's the slow thinking when we give ourselves the space and time to step back to reflect to acknowledge we feel emotional right now, but I'm not acting upon it. I take the time to digest the situation and yeah. then I'll make better choices and decisions. Yeah, yeah, that, exactly, exactly. Because it's kind of like what they call it, like the reptile brain yeah. and then the mammal brain and then the yeah. frontal lobe. And it's in us. We definitely react to it when someone blames us or when someone attacks us, even verbally, you know, we we go to fight or flight or freeze. And, and then the tool is, okay, wait a minute. I know all these hormones are kind of like acting up in my body, but can I just sit back mm-hmm. and, and see what's the exact story? Yeah. And, and we also have to accept that in any story that we see, we personally see just a piece of it. Can we listen to other people? to see how they see this story. What are the other pieces of this story to make this like a collective wisdom and then take an action for it. Yeah, I'm loving this. 
Collective wisdom. Ooh, let's go back to that in a in a short moment. I just want to rewind for a moment to back to when you were in Iran with your daughter, and then you decided I'm going to go to the states. How did that happen? And and the follow up question to that is: I think it takes a lot of audacity, a lot of bravery, courage, whatever word is is the right one here, to do that. So what, what is happening there for you? What helped you make this choice for you and your daughter? <laughs> so many different dimensions to it. You know, I, um, I talked to many people, many immigrants in the United States, and they certainly miss their home country a lot more, a lot deeper in a very different way. I see it like the motherland. I miss it, but I don't want to come back. And I was at a point that I wanted to get you know, like just export it out. I just, I was just desperately looking for a way to get out with all the limitations and, and everybody reacts differently. However, I know that Iran has the highest percentage of immigrants, people who em- emigrate uh, out, outside of Iran to go to different countries because of the bureaucracy. First, uh, I think Iran is one of the three countries in the world that has theocracy governing the people, which is very dogmatic. And like I said, Sharia law is like, you talk about your ideas and they kill you or they put you in prison. And to this day, it's even getting worse. So there's a lot of limitations. And under that limitation, under all that stress, it seems like it's gonna be better no matter what. You just want to get out of that place. Uh, so that gives you the courage, you know, it's kind of like, but of course, there are a lot of um, anxiety coming when when that happens. And in my case was even a little more different because I was looking for all different opportunities. I got involved with this gentleman after my divorce at work, and it, he he was the one who won the diversity visa which is like a yearly uh, lottery for green card for Mm -hmm. the U.S. And then he finally, he proposed to me to get married to him and to to go to the U.S. with him. But under one condition, you can't bring your daughter with you. Oh, wow. But I was so desperate. I was like, you know what? I'm going to accept this and I'll go to the U.S. And then I will talk to him to calm his heart down to accept, to convince him to bring my daughter. And I'm sure when I get to the U.S., I'll find a way for it. Well, sure enough, not only I couldn't calm his heart down, I couldn't find a policy that supported a mother, an immigrant mother, to bring her daughter quickly. They were like, you are a green card holder. You have to wait until you're a citizen. It's going to take four or five years. Wow. So it was a lot of turmoil, a lot of anxiety that I had to go through. And perhaps that's why after a few years when I kind of like settled down with, you know, my daughter being here and in a good romantic relationship and a respectable job and everything, then I collapsed. I was like, I can't do it anymore. And I'm like, what? I have everything I wanted. I worked hard for it. And then when I, that's when I started the healing process. How did you notice that you collapsed? I was very confused. The job that I wanted so badly, all the dreams that I had for my job became so aggravating to me. 
part of it is because I also got to know the corporate culture better and I had a lot of values against it, but also the job itself. I was like, am I in the right, wrong job? Did my culture push me towards like, you have to become an engineer and that's not my personality. And then I noticed I'm not enjoying anything else. Like, like, why am I not enjoying going out with my husband, going out with my daughter, everything? I, I knew the worth of everything I had, but I wasn't in it. There was a disconnect. Mm. But when I, when I started sharing my past stories with one of my friends, that's how it actually became like, you know what? I'm actually feeling better when I share it with you. Mm-hmm. And then you share similar stories. And look at us, like a girl from Midwest America and a girl from Iran. Look at us having similar experiences. And yet we got to know each other better. We got closer. And I'm like, that's how it is. You know, when I start sharing my stories, I start building this community. And I really needed to belong, to feel the, this belonging, the connection. I felt really strongly and I could literally feel that inside when listening to you. And you mentioned the word disconnect in particular. The sense of disconnection when you don't quite know what you belong to, who you belong to, who you are. A little bit of this feeling of seeking identity. And I'm hearing that a lot of women feel that now and possibly men as well after this very strange year living through a pandemic, right? Um, where we're asking ourselves, who are we? What are we about? What's the purpose here in our lives? It's, it's very, very powerful. But at the same time, I just want to repeat what you said. You noticed in the moment when you shared and you found a common ground that this was connecting and there was a sense of belonging. There was a sense of sharing. And that's what really brought you together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I just decided to make that community bigger. You know, I was like, many people don't know about immigrants' lives and I'm, I'm one among millions, but, you know, my life is different, but yet there are so many universal events in it, especially for those immigrants who lived under tyranny and dictatorship. Yeah. And there are millions of us around. It's amazing when I read stories from, let's say, like um, Czechoslovakia or or uh, Bosnia, even after they, after the communism collapsed, all the feelings, all the experiences about life and the connection, I just feel so related to them. It's just like how dictatorship and how limitation can put you down, can suppress you. But then us human, we find a way to get out. If you want to see that way, yeah. I, I resonate a lot with it. Um, I was interviewed for a few podcasts where I shared my story. And now I have only a very short story in communism. I, I grew up in East Germany, but I was a young girl when the wall came down. But obviously my family have been older and they have the personality, the characteristics of communism and certain ways of how we operated in communism. Scarcity is one of those characteristics, right? And thinking of this is how it should be. This is what you have to do, not seeing the options and the wide world. And, and it really influenced me as a, as a young girl and a young woman. 
And I never really understood what was going on there, why I was so angry and why I was so frustrated, but I had to reframe my story. And similar to what you said, I had this collapse and I didn't even know it had to happen. I didn't understand what was going on there, but I literally had to have it in order to understand who I really was and what I wanted life to be in the community I lived in to be and the communities I wanted to create. So I very, very strongly resonate with what you are saying. Oh, wow. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And you know, that reminds me of this whole, um, that when we share our stories, we do build this community. Yeah. And it's like, how, how human, you know, like, even if you were a little girl, you can see the impact, the ripple effect of it from parents and great, like grandparents. Yeah. And that's also the collective trauma that we have, right? Mm in ourselves and then we get to the point that we want to know what happened what are the stories tell us the stories you know we want our parents and our great grandparents and people older than us to share those stories can you please not be silent about it because I want to see what happened Mm. and I want to feel that as part of my life I want to accept it as part of my life and deal with it process it yeah, because it's unknown, it becomes like I hate part of myself. Mm. But when it becomes known, you can see it differently. Yeah, exactly. You bring it out in the open. And that is something that plays a role in everyday's life. And uh, I shared with you that I work a lot with leaders in a more traditional sense in organizations. And I sometimes wonder if those leaders would bring their stories out in the open and shared more of it, what was really going on, not the stories that we might write on a PowerPoint, right? <laughs> Just who we are as people, as human beings, what a positive impact it would have on other people, right? right? Yeah, like, like Brene Brown says, how we, sh- how we don't want to share the vulnerability that we mm. have. But when we try to share it, then it becomes like we are bringing out our authentic self. Yeah. And the more authentic we are, the more connected we are to others. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. And you decided to connect with others by sharing your memoir. And you are currently still writing the sequel, right? I am, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell us about how you came to um, write your memoir and, and what your atten- intentions were by writing it. You know, under the political situation that we were living in the previous administration in the U.S., mm. I, as an immigrant, I felt, you know, like a little shaky. The ground wasn't very, very firm under my feet. And like I said, I mentioned, like, I started sharing my story with friends and I felt better. And I was like, what, well, this is how I want to do. And then I had this idea and a friend, uh, a, a dear friend had told me, oh, you should write a story of your life. And then it, the idea came back. I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should write this story. It's not like, yeah, I'm not a CEO. I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a Harvard graduate. I'm just an ordinary person, but let's just write it. Let's just share it. So from the moment I started writing, I knew I wanted to publish it. Yeah. But I wasn't a writer. I was always an avid reader, but I had never had the chance. It's like one of those untested strengths that you have. I'm not saying I'm a good writer, but I love writing and I didn't know it. 
And then I started writing, I started taking classes, I started building communities with other writers, like other new writers like me. And I found it so fascinating. Like I had moments that I would, like you call it, go in the flow. Mm-hmm. You just don't feel the passage mm-hmm. of time and you just write, you play with words and then you go back. And I ended up write, reading a lot of psychology articles and books because I wanted to find out why I did what I did. Yeah. And I was lucky. I had a very good editor, basically a writing coach who asked the right questions, you know, like, like a life coach. I always tell her, I'm like, you asked the right question. Why did you stay in this relationship? And then I was like, oh, that's how the, the cycle of the abuse and manipulation work. It pulls you in and then it, it leaves you, you know, hanging and then it pulls you in and then it leaves you hanging mm. and you get addicted to it. So, mm. so many things like that. It was really like a self-discovery, but it also obviously, I, I do have this love for human behavior and psychology. I'm very curious, but it also helped me to build the, not authentic, but the real characters of other people in my story. You know, on my father, yes, he is an alcoholic, but he also had other sides of him, of, you know, being a human. He yeah. also had his desires suppressed. Or my mother under the pressure of a bad marriage of, you know, living under theocracy. Or my mother living under a culture that actually encouraged punishment to raise good children. Well, what else did you expect from here? So the hate starts washing off of your heart. Mm. And then you see different people differently. I'm loving this. How has it shaped your relationships overall in your life? My, the, a very different relationship with my mother now. I have a lot more understanding of her, a lot less resentment. I used to have a lot of resentment towards her. And I now feel, I don't want to say closer but a lot more understanding of who she is and why she is doing what she does or what she, or whatever she did. I totally understand it a lot better now. Mm. And as far as my father, I used to be this, like I had this kind of like aha moment when my counselor said, you have to start going to Al-Anon meetings. And I was like, oh my God, now I understand that I'm a child of alcoholic parent. I didn't know. You know, it like that simple. I didn't, I knew who my father was. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. It's a codependent relationship. And I started kind of like putting boundaries. And I feel a lot um, lighter now because I have my relationship with him. But I don't feel I'm scared of him or I owe him. I have the boundaries and surprisingly he started accepting the boundaries like if it was two years ago five years ago he would start lashing out at me that oh you don't call me you don't like me you don't love me but now he's very different and I'm like oh my god setting out the boundaries understanding this it makes a huge difference yeah and how are you helping people nowadays with sharing their stories I do um, have some workshops 
One was just finished. We are still working on the background. Um, it was like a storytelling workshop with immigrant ladies. Mm. They did amazing. I just admire their braveness because I know it's not easy when, when you are with a new language. You're learning a new language and it's terrifying to stay in front of the camera and do <laughs> storytelling. But they did amazing and I'm just so proud of them. Uh, so I do workshops like that. I do have uh, memoir writing workshops, mm -hmm. which is uh, more part, like more towards the psychological and encouraging part of it. Yeah. It's like a, a few hour workshop. It's not like a writing workshop, but I do bring some elements of writing in it for people who are new like I was. But I just enjoy every moment of being with these people, with connecting with them and encouraging them to share their stories. I'm, I'm loving it. And you know what I love most about everything you've said? It's, I, I'm pretty sure when people listen to this episode, there are quite a few of them who feel resentful towards their past, certain people in their story and, and whatnot. And yet they hear how they can take action and how they can move forward towards this wonderful self. And when I look at you, what you have created in your life, the calm you bring across, the understanding for people who made your life fairly difficult, but also realizing that you played a role in it and you can be at peace yeah. with regards to that. That's, that just in itself is so powerful. And I'm utterly grateful that you opened up and shared it here on this episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's, It's really uh, a, a pleasure for me and an honor uh, when I can share my, my story and not just my story, the idea of a story sharing, yeah. the idea of let's share our stories, let's yeah. listen to each other because we all have stories. And now I just try to also emphasize that, you know, let's look at our stories from a strength and resilient point of view, we all have it in us. And then we can start slowly wash off that resentment. Mm -hmm. I, I used to, I used to hate my past. I'm a lot better off now. There are still pieces that I have to work on. There are still pieces that I get so emotional and, and that's the sign for me that Shabnam, you have to work on this too. So if you were to give a top tip to our listeners who may not realize that they have a powerful story to tell. You, you said it yourself. We all have our stories. What can we do to unlock them and to take a tiny step towards it? You know, I think starting with the present, I'm also pursuing the, uh, I think we talked about it. I'm also pursuing this whole uh, becoming a life coach journey. And I'm so excited because I think coaching people towards Okay, but whatever was in the past, yes, we, we had a lot of pain and we are still feeling it. But let's start today. What if we just write a 10-minute story of the day every night? Not every night, every time that you feel heaviness in your heart. But bring all those four elements to it. How was my soul? How was the brain and the soul that you know, the condition that like, was I feeling depressed from something else? And it was a ripple effect of this, that and this, you know, how was this situation for my soul and my brain? 
What was the situation of people around me? Were they under a lot of pressure maybe? Or was it like the law, the rule, the policy that actually made this limitation that I felt this heaviness on my heart? When we bring these elements to our story, even a 10 minute story writing, a journaling, but just making sure that it's a story that you're telling yourself. It helps. I do that and I know it helps me. I know journaling and writing doesn't seem like everyone likes to do it, but when they try, even like just a short little few minutes, the words become organized in their mind. It has less unknown, less ambiguity, and then they feel better about it. And it takes us places that we cannot even imagine if we don't write it. What I also realized is it brings out the stories we tell ourselves. When I often ask myself the question, okay, is that a story that I have made up in my mind? Or is that a story that's actually true? And, and sometimes it matters to ask oneself the question because it can have a negative impact on other people. In particular, when you are in, in a lockdown situation, right? You want to keep the most positive and healthy relationships going. So it's important that you also step into your emotions and you really see what's going on there and what are the stories you are telling yourselves, where yeah. they are coming from. It's, it's really important. Yeah, and when you are doing it for yourself, you, you I mean, I know it's painful to be honest with yourself too, mm. but maybe little by little, maybe, you know, every time that we write it, just add a little bit more of that honesty with ourselves that like no one is going to see this, but what was the emotion, the situation that I was under or what about the other person who actually mm. created this pain in me or was it about him or her or was it me having the pain from something the day yeah. before, you know, just answering these questions while we are writing this story, yeah. imagining the, the other character's situation, my situation, or, you know, it was no one's fault. The system wasn't actually working and it made both of us frustrated. Mm -hmm. These days we are, we are working with a lot of glitches, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And therefore honesty is a really important word that, need to be brought into those um, stories that we are writing. And I want to highlight as well what you said. It doesn't have to take hours. It can literally be five minutes of reflecting on the day and writing it down. Yeah, yeah. And baby steps. You know, we just don't want to jump to, uh, I mean, the full authenticity is a lot of work and I don't know who has it. Maybe, <laughs> you know, people like Rumi or I don't know. But, but, but. One step at a time, one baby step at a time, yeah. just to be compassionate to ourselves and bring the pain on the paper. And the, the compassionate part is like, what was that? What was my, my mind situation? What was my heart situation? Well, how was I feeling when I said that? Maybe it was, I shouldn't have said it, but was it a reaction because of what and what and what happened? You know, being compassionate, brings a little bit less pain, but it needs practice. It does. And as you said, right in the beginning, it's an ongoing process. Yes. Shabna, when is the sequel coming out? Well, <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, it's a little slow, 
but I'm hoping early 2022. Lovely. Well, good luck for it. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be an amazing piece of writing of stories to share again with the wider communities. Thank you so much for being on the show today. But before we let you go, we want to know where can we find you? Oh, thank you. Um, I'll be very happy to be connected to people who are interested about my story or have any questions. I'm in um, uh, basically Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, just Shabnam Curtis and it comes up. I think it's the only one. Twitter, <laughs> um, all those, you know, social medias, but I'm also... Uh, maintaining a website, uh, shabnamcredits.com. That's my blog, basically. And my persianparadox.com. That one is the book website. Thank you so much for sharing your story, at least an excerpt of it. Um, more to be found out, obviously, in the book. So do read it. Um, get it off Amazon or wherever you can find it and, and read those stories, even just for your own inspiration and to really get insights into someone else's life. There's so much to learn for all of us. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for being with us here. And uh, what I wish you is not just success for the sequel, but also loads of happiness and health. And if you need any coaching buddies, then do let me know, Shabnam. Thank you very much. This was an honor and thanks oh. for the opportunity. Thank you, Kathleen. My pleasure. Take good care of yourself and you out there. Please take good care of you as well and stay healthy. I'm going to speak to you again very, very soon. Until then, bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.